Before we get started with the podcast this time, I wanted to put something right from a previous podcast. Remember last time I read you this poem. After the viewing, a lone leaf on the conservatory floor. After the viewing, a lone leaf on the conservatory floor. Which I told you was won by Graham Duff from Blythe Spirit, Volume 32, Issue 1. Unfortunately, Blythe Spirit attributed it to the wrong poet. It's actually a wonderful poem by my good friend, Robert Kingston. So sorry, Rob. Do forgive me. It is a wonderful piece of work. Today, in episode 18 of the fifth series, I'm really happy to bring you lots of original poetry. Our community have been writing haiku and senryu with juxtaposition, and a bit more than that, using contrasting images in their fragment and phrase. They've done a great job, as you'll see in a minute. As have the editing team here at P-Towers. Ron Craig, Robert Horobin, Liam Maguire, Lorraine Padden and Vandana Parashar. Thanks to all of them for reading the submissions and suggesting some edits on occasion. And of course, choosing quality poetry for us to hear on the podcast and in time read in the Poetry Bee Journal. Have you listened or watched the Poetry Bee Reading Podcast or the YouTube offering? This time, Vendena came along to read to us and have a chat about her work and its influences. It's going down a treat. Here's what some people have said about it so far. Reed Hepworth said, What a great episode, Vendana. Your coups are poignant and powerful. Thanks, Reed. And Arvinda Kaur said, Fabulous interview. Congratulations to both of you. Cheers, Arvinda. Thank you to both of you and everyone else who left a comment. And of course, everyone who listened and didn't leave a comment. It was a real pleasure to chat to Vendana, a poet with a very strong voice. I think you'll agree. We'll also hear some of your poetry from the Poetry P YouTube video prompt. The wonderful Linda Ludwig, our video prompt editor, reads every poem and makes her choice at the end of the month. All her choices will also be in the Poetry P journal. Thanks, Linda. But before we head off into the poetry, I do have a few housekeeping bits and bobs. Next month, the reading period will be open as usual, 1st to the 15th of the month, and we'll be reading any haiku or senryu you'd like to send us. As you know, we try and be very open-minded in our approach, so don't be afraid to send us haiku or senryu you've been working on. Once these submissions have been chosen, I'll be making my recommendations for a variety of wards, Touchstone, Red Moon Anthology, Pushcart, and this will be your last chance to grab my attention. As my old boss would say to me, you never get a second chance to make a first impression. Now, I'm going to need some volunteer judges, both for the depth submissions and the freestyle submissions. Don't be shy. Do put yourself forward. If you have questions about it, just send me an email at poetryp. Now, you know I love to hear about the successes our community have had. And today I'm really proud to tell you about something Douglas J. Lanzo has been up to. 
You may remember some time ago I told you he was being published. He has a book for young adults which is available to pre-order now on Amazon and will be released in November. It's called The Year of the Bear. Not only has it been endorsed by a New York Times best-selling author, but it's been nominated for the prestigious John Newbery Medal. This medal is awarded annually by the Association for Library Services to Children. It's a division of the American Library Association, and it's given to the author of the most distinguished contribution to American literature for children. Now isn't that a great honour? Well done, Doug. And of course, I'll put a link to the book in the show notes. So let's head over to our YouTube prompts and find out which poems Linda Ludwig has chosen this month. Midsummer heat. City children splash in water jets. Mira Rem. Splash pad tadpoles. The jumpstart of haiku. Steve Barr. Our baby boys jumping in and out of timidness. P.S. Schneider. Summer heat. Splashes of laughter in the water park. Anna Yin. Dog days. Dabbles in the fountain. Children's laughter. Isabella Kramer. Linda, thank you. Cracking choices. If you'd like the opportunity to contribute, head over to our YouTube page. Maybe even subscribe. It doesn't cost anything. And leave your poems in the comments. Again, there's a link in the show notes. Now for your original poetry, written following the workshop I gave on contrast. Thank you so much for watching the YouTube workshop and listening to the podcast. It's great to know you're out there supporting me. Thanks again. Now, today I'm joined by Roger Watson, an accomplished haiku poet himself and someone who's taken part in the judging before. He's also done a reading of his work for us. Details will be in the show notes. Do go along and have a read. They will be free of charge for a limited amount of time. Of course, Roger's not the only judge today. Ronald K. Craig, or Ron Craig as I know him, one of my beloved editing team is also here to give us his choice. And as it was my workshop, I'm going to nominate one poem for a change. So today we're going to start with Roger's choice. Hello, Roger. Welcome Hello. back to the podcast. Nice to be here. Hi. Um, Roger is just one of the two professors. I didn't mention that. They're both professors, um, so I'm a little bit out of my depth possibly here. But Roger is a professor of nursing, which might have had some influence on your choice, Roger. Tell us, which poem um, did you choose? Yes, it certainly did influence me. It's uh, stuck out for so many reasons. I chose one by David Oates, which goes as follows. Before the execution, nurse checks his blood pressure. I'll say it again. Before the execution, nurse checks his blood pressure. And I I, I just thought this was so uh, catching. It was, it was different from the usual haiku with juxtaposition because it started off with the 
sort of ghastly aspect and then move towards the more tender aspect. They're usually the other way around. They usually start off with something, a nice image, and then bang with something that really shocks you. But this one shocked from the start, but ended up with something I thought was very much juxtaposed to the first part. Also very intimate in the sense of not the nurse checks his blood pressure, nurse checks his blood pressure. It almost felt like I was there. And this one really resonated with me at so many levels. I am a nurse, as you, as you said, Patricia, and I've actually written about the involvement of nurses in the execution process. I wrote with uh, an international team from people from Australia, UK and, and, and the United mm -hmm. States. And um, we wrote and published that in the conversation uh, a few years ago, and it was quite controversial. But in terms of the technical aspects of the of, of this is a senru really the juxtaposition is not subtle uh, and, and of course there's nothing subtle about an execution that's designed to end in death thus uh, david senru brings the horror of the process of the execution very close to the reader and there's a sense of revulsion about what is going to take place but also curiosity about why the nurse was carrying out what is a routine but in the circumstances, a very futile uh, nursing task. So was an aspect of the execution process, uh, uh, you know, was that an aspect of the execu execution process? And subtly, due to the occlusion of the blood circulation required to take a blood pressure measurement, a way of identifying a vein suitable for inserting a cannula to administer the lethal, lethal cocktail of drugs that would induce death. So it's a bit a bit technical there, but it's uh, it's there's no other way of really conveying that. But it also raises the question of one's own attitude towards execution and is it ever justified? Uh, are some crimes so gross that the only response is the death of the culprit? And I'll be frank about it. I've got my own ab ambiguities over the question but none over the involvement of nurses and executions, as I know they are uh, in, in the States. Uh, I think I, they should neither be present nor actively involved. Uh, I think this is a long way from, from nursing care. So David, David Senru is just impossible to avoid. I read through them all. I just kept going back to it. And it's impossible not to understand. And it is impossible not to return to it and then to leave it in some way slightly changed by it. Thanks, Roger. I'm grateful for your, your technical explanation there, because when I read it, I was struck by the contrast of the caring profession and just the awfulness of the idea of, of the execution. And before your explanation, what I was thinking was that the contrast was highlighting for me almost the futility of the nurse taking the, the blood pressure as if it would make a difference, as if anyone yeah. actually cared. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think that is really what it's about. I think that's really what struck me in terms of, of, of the of the juxtaposition of it. But but I also it also made me wonder, you know, was there, is there any reason for doing this? It just seems such an odd odd thing to do. And I'm sure, you know, I'm sure it's uh, well. Whether he's witnessed this, whether he knows it's happened, I don't I don't know. But um, or maybe watched the watched an execution or heard about it and misinterpreted what was being what was taking place actually uh, with the occlusion of the of the upper arm to to bring the veins into mm. prominence which is all rather too horrible to to contemplate really yeah. and of course of course whatever one's view of execution is it's meant to be horrible i said to the two of you beforehand that um, i'd really like you to read your own poems and i think your poem it's not 
talking about something quite as horrendous as the, the execution. But it, it's horrible in its own way. It's the contrast is, is brings out the um, well. I won't put my view on it first. Roger, have you got it handy? Would you read it to us? In a church doorway, the warm glow of his crystal meth pipe. In a church doorway, the warm glow of his crystal meth pipe. And this was something I saw late one night in Dublin recently. I was at a conference and I was walking back from the pub after a few pints of Guinness back from the centre of Dublin back to my hotel, which is slightly outside the centre and walking along St. Stephen's Green of all places, which is the very cultural and kind of a, even the scientific hub of Dublin because they're all College of Surgeons is there. And next to it, there's a Presbyterian church with a doorway and there were lots of people lying around and sitting around. The, the, there seemed to be seemed to be quite a problem with people uh, rough sleeping in Dublin now. But in this church doorway, I just saw these two fellows and I just saw this, this glow, uh, you know, and as I walked past, I realised that the, 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 the glow was coming from a small pipe in which I believe that people smoke crystal meth. I don't know much more about it than that. And it, it resonated with me uh, because it just was the contrast of the church doorway and what it's meant to represent and what was happening there as well. And I just think, my goodness, you know, it's a, it's a world I know nothing about, even as a professional, really. The contrast for me, again, like you said, was the idea of the the mm. holiness of the uh, mm. of the area that they were smoking in and the mm. ungodliness almost of what they were doing. Yeah. Um, yes. it, it gave the poem an extra resonance for me. Thank you, Roger. Thank you very much. And so on to more of your original poetry. Rubbing the cat fur, his teeth bite the cord to my oxygen. Loretta Potts Singing lullaby, she picks the sharpest knife for the softest fruit. Vendena Parashar Crowded bus stop, a girl spins her umbrella in the rain. Dipeya Nair Visiting ancient ruins, briefly, a children's song. Samo Kreutz. The deep creases from shoe soles in the mud. Giddy Nielsen Sweep. Deafening silence, the burning forest. Susan Andrews. Dusk softly whispers, then crickets. Epiphany Divine Deep Autumn The invited guests still counting syllables Joshua Gage In between the stars the spiralling darkness Pravat Kumar Padi Heavy enough to bend some plants, light rain. Tony Williams The dawn lifting the veil of remaining night. Ram Chandran Summer light, 
the ebb of shadows across a canyon. Alison Whipple The incessant thrum of lawnmowers toiling lulls me to sleep. Cynthia Green Crumbling terracotta of the neighbour's birdbath. Clean mammogram. Doris Lynch Land's End People watch the sunset from their cars. Sarah Paris Hunting prey, a crab hides in a sunken warship. Petro C.K. Sunrise, I walk into the sunset. Gone. Linda L. Ludwig Fingers scroll through endless phone images. Cherry blossoms. Colette Kern Snorkeling through a school of triggerfish. His last spring break. Jeff M. Pope Cherry Blossoms, the tattooed goth guy, takes a selfie. Kristen Lindquist Garden's Edge, wild morning glories mingle with roses. Nika Tiny inchworm spans centuries, crossing cedar stump. Douglas J. Lanzo The ending at the beginning. Forest fire. Eve Castle. Spring light. My dormant mood stirs. Claire Neenham. Evil skulking in the shadows of the cathedral. Mike Gallagher. Mike, I wonder if you've been to Canterbury Cathedral in England. This poem really reminded me of the first time I went. And I was really overwhelmed by the idea of St Thomas Becket being killed by the King's men in the cathedral. Evil skulking in the shadows of the cathedral. So, now it's time for some more thank yous. This time for all of you who've donated to the podcast, either through our Buy Me A Coffee page or via PayPal. Both can easily be done through our website. I'm very grateful to everyone who contributes towards the podcast. It really helps with the costs. And as you know, I'm saving up my coffee money to help employ an intern. I really think interns should have some payment So anything you can contribute is gratefully received, as I could really do with some local hands-on help with podcast production. I think an intern would enjoy it, and it would be a great way to get into what could be a career for the rest of their life. So who do I have to thank this month? Well, Eve Castle, Ronald Degler, 
Jason Furtak, Neera Kashap, Linda Ludwig, Mark Gilbert, Kimberly Kucha, Susan Andrews, Sangeeta Kalarikal, Cindy Green, Michael Flanagan, and a couple of anonymous donors. You are all stars. Thank you very much. So let's continue with more poetry. Beginnings. The edge of the wood where the trees die out. Ian Speed. Dry rose petals. Rethinking the brick and mortar of my daily life. Maya Daneva. A dog lopes beside the skipping boy. Wild strawberries. Robert Whitmer. Brand new doll in the cold soil. Sister's casket. Kimberly Kucha. Empty mailbox. The weight of raindrops on a rose. Daniela Miso. In the dawn, a sleety rain falls. Spring, only a rumour. Michael Flanagan. Warm morning coffee, contemplating the blue sky over the snowy yard. Steve Ullum. Outskirt junkyard, the thrust of green tufts, every which way. Mira Rame. Pressing mute the low rumble of thunder. Laurie Becherer. Thunderclap. From an open window. Fardo songs. Anna Maria Domberg, San Cristoforo. That's a cracking verse, Anna Maria. Thank you. And if you haven't heard Fardo, head over to YouTube and Google it. Blooming in the woodpile. Cherry logs. Richard Tice. Jacarandas in bloom, watching the flowers on the pavement wilt. Bona M. Santos. Urban Café. Wildflowers in a crystal vase. Carol Judkins. Autumn rain. How fast the brown grass turns green. Kurt Paulish. Kurt, it's funny you should say that. I was just thinking that when I was looking out at my grass this morning. The rain was chucking it down. But the grass is really looking so much better for a couple of days of rain. Mount Fuji. My fingers climb over its high-resolution summit. Anna Yin. Drifting slowly over sunlit cornfields, red kites' dark shadow. Annie Wilson. Bird chatter binding together our silent evenings. 
Hege Anita Jacobson Lepre. Still Pond Water Striders Moonwalking Bidjut Prapa Ganyayat White Lily Pond A black heron waiting for a new dawn Lakshmi Aya Silent Witness Kingfisher at a still lake a shrill rifle crack near a cash up. And now let's hear from Ron Craig and find out which poem he's nominated for the judge's choice. Lovely to have you here, Ron. Thank you. You know, we spend so much time messaging one another throughout the month. It's really nice to, to have you face to face and to have a chat. So tell me, how did you get on with the submissions this month? Really found uh, a particular poem very interesting. Just kind of struck me as very clever and very insightful. Poem by Andrew Markowski. On a bending road, a snake oil salesman straightens his tie. On a bending road, a snake oil salesman straightens his tie. For me, a snake oil salesman immediately brings to mind the charlatan, pseudo-medicine, as well as inveigling, that is, persuading by deception or flattery. From Clark Stanley, an American cowboy in the late 1800s who invented the term snake oil, to Gwyneth Paltrow, sued by the state of California for unfounded health claims on her website, Fakery Lives On. Originally, oil from snakes, rich in omega-3 fatty acids, came from a folk remedy in Chinese medicine used to treat joint pain. This outstanding senryu by Andrew captures the essence of these claims. His charlatan begins on a bending road, bringing to mind crooked, it's a country road where unwitting customers await a miracle cure for what ails them. We envision this salesman peddling his way into town. Unlike comedian Rodney Dangerfield's famous line, I don't get no respect, this city slicker is decked out to impress his customers. And as a last touch, he straightens his tie. I enjoyed this poem for its originality, cleverness, and excellent imagery. The bending road versus straightening his tie. He may know he's selling snake oil, but must come across as believable. Without specifying emotions, Andrew shows us the smile on his face, a sneer perhaps, and his sincerity, a desire to make a quick buck probably. A comparison is the Old West hawker with today's door-to-door -door salesman. Andrew alerts us to our own gullibility, the slickness of today's advertising, the perpetual pounding of web-based claims on the door of our mind, and to stop and question what we need versus what we're told we need. Caveat emptor. Thanks, Ron. 
I wondered, and maybe Roger's got something to say on this one, if our idea in the UK of door-to-door salesmen, well, that's what we call it, I guess, in, in the UK, is slightly different. Because when I think of the snake oil salesman, if you like, in the UK, they're terribly down at heel, a very different version to Andrew's version. So for me, Andrew's version is, is something like I'd see if I went to the cinema. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's a, a, an image that I would have rather than an experience I would have. I don't, how do you feel about that, Roger? Yes, I have to say I was very attracted to this one as well. I think uh, possibly if, if, if Ronald hadn't got in first, I might have, I might have taken this one because <laughs> uh, it's very current as well with, with, uh, with, you know, there's a lot of snake oil salesmen around during the, during the COVID-19 situation as well and pushing various things. But yeah, um, yes, I, I, I I actually thought the it was very American because the expression snake oil uh, salesman to me is a very American one. And, and, and like you, I, I could see someone uh, slick, slickly dressed. I, I imagined almost a, a like a cowboy film or something like mm. that. You know, somebody the, uh, selling uh, elixirs, you know, that, that kind of thing, which was always a thing in cowboy films. Roll up, roll up mm. and get the elixir that will restore life and make your hair grow and that that kind of thing. So I, so I saw that. But you're right, Patricia. Yeah, the, the, in, in, certainly in the UK, we don't have so many door-to-door salespeople these days. They're pretty restricted you get um you get uh, charity workers coming around and they have to prove their bona fides but when i was a young lad which was a long time ago in bankery uh, and north d side which is where the queen went through today on her final journey to uh, edinburgh not a part of her final journey um we had uh, we had onion johnnies uh, men selling onions from bikes uh, i don't know if they're really from france or not we had sikh salesmen <laughs> Uh, selling things out of, out, you know, with with turbans, you know, the, you know, uh, with selling things out of cases, you know, we'd never seen people like this. There were no people of color in my town, and they were very colorful characters. You know, they 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 they, they struck, a, a, you know, a, a sense of great fun and kids, uh, and a slight sense of terror into my into my mother. I remember, oh, they're coming to the door, you know, that kind of thing. But anyway, I just just I'm just I'm getting I'm getting away from the point of the of the of the of the poem. But uh yeah, our experience is very different. And but I thought this was very um geographically and culturally situated, this one. But I immediately got what it was about because I know what the snake oil salesman is. So I enjoyed it greatly. And I really enjoyed your explanation, Ronald. It was it was good. Yes. Thank thank you very much, Ron, for that. And as I said to Roger, it's, it, well, I didn't say it, but it's true. It's always a treat to hear a poet read their own work. And so may I ask you to read your poem for us, Ron, as Roger did, please. Certainly. Newborn pup growing into its bark. Newborn pup growing into its bark. That, of course, is Ronald K. Craig. I particularly love this. I mean, I just love the idea of this this little pup. Just it's it's so self-explanatory. It's so easy to understand. It's just a beautiful piece. From snake oil salesman to seesaws. Seesaw, the ups and downs of my thoughts. Mona Betty. Apartment building blown to smithereens. Her sapphire ring. Richard Bailey. Ancient well, all new wishes, still a penny. Laurie Kiefer. 
pre-dawn silence. The wah of a neighbour's newborn. Mimi Ahern. New reading glasses. Across the room, you are fuzzy. Patricia Furstenberg. In the shadow of the old oak. Acorns. Kim Clue. Last leaf dangling from the garden tree. Empty nest. Hifsa Ashraf. Seed heads fall among dry grass. Silk kimonos. Kim Russell. The bird bath runs out of water. Harvest moon. Messia Moldovan. Sunrise. Grasses dripping crescent moons. Dorothy Burrows. Rising moon. They fall in their own traps. Amulia Kamalnas. City Drive. We carry our silence through the traffic. Nina Singh. Surrounded by skyscrapers. Bonsai Park. Ravi Kiran. Friendship Garden. The queue of bickering strangers. Richard L. Matter. Cold day, wiping sweat off her face, a washerwoman. Milan Rajkumar. Winter storm, I almost missed drowning at the beach last summer. R.P. Verlaine. The bent back of a dire cellar. Concrete Jungle Avindakur Rusty Roadside Sign Fresh Eggs for Sale Kerry J. Heckman Opening and Closing The Obligations of Morning Glories Lorraine A. Padden Barbados, how much the tour guide misses skiing. Keith Everts. Empty lighthouse, the sea full of roaring waves. Minal Sarosh. High hanging fruit, a longing from below. Steve Barr Vibrant pink flowers against a grey misty dawn Someone missing Sarah Mahina Caveo Vintage timepiece Town Square's Ferris wheel moves slower now Zara Mugis Geometry class, 
A Toddler Mismatching the Shape Box Robert Kingston Short tempers at the long queue Street Cafe Christina Chin The President's Speech The Sign Language for Applause Alvin Cruz No squares in my circle of friends. Bonnie J. Shearer. The frontline town under heavy shelling. The baby's first smile. Natalia Kuznetsova. Boys club. Being silenced for speaking out. Rob. McKinnon Moving car He pauses to raise a finger Goran Katalicha Lego cubes Teaching my nephew What privacy is Hassan Zemori Mumbai local trains, lonely in a crowd. Sangeeta Kalarikal. Speeding hearse, almost runs over, mum with pram. Jenny Shepherd. And now for the last nomination. This time it's mine. As I said before, I'm having a go. So let me read you the poem I've nominated. Cherry Blossom, the chewed-up remains of my daughter's hamster. Cherry Blossom, the chewed-up remains of my daughter's hamster. Tracy Davidson. So when I settle down to read submissions, I consider what it is that I'm hoping poets will achieve with the topic of the month. This time poets were asked not just to write in a resting juxtaposition, but to write one in which the two images were contrasting. That is, that the constituent parts of the fragment and phrase were the direct opposites of one another, the idea being that the use of the converse images would heighten the impact and power of the haiku or senryu. Then I'm looking at the craft of the verse. For haiku, I always prefer to see a kigo. You can do so much with a kigo, can't you? Not just tell your reader the seasonal setting, but you can also set the tone, the emotions for the poem. It will be no surprise to you that I'm also looking at the rhythm of the poem, how it's going to sound when read aloud. And also, has the poet considered the words in their work? Do all of them find a place and belong in the piece? Do the line breaks make sense and flow and so on. Against stiff competition, Tracy Davidson wrote a poem that stood out for me. It has its kigo, it has a certain rhythm, and a break which I love. Cherry Blossom, the chewed-up remains of my daughter's hamster. There's almost two cuts in that, cut after cherry blossom, and then a cut after remains to give you that sort of big 
lead up to the final line. And I think Tracy has considered all the words and they all have a place in her poem. You know, it's very difficult to write a cherry blossom haiku that catches the eye because so many are written. Cherry blossoms are haiku 101. But there are a few in this episode. And you know what? I could probably have chosen any one. But I kept coming back to this one time and again. Tracy uses the delightful image of the cherry blossom, juxtaposing it with the grisly one of the chewed-up hamster. And in so doing, the delicate beauty of the blossom and the terrible incident with the hamster are enhanced and highlighted. Perhaps you could say the haiku is all the more successful because Tracy has used cherry blossom. When you read the words cherry blossom as the opening line, you expect the poem to continue in a positive vein, don't you? Cherry blossoms, a beautiful symbol of spring, Spring, the season of hope, of growth, of renewal. But Tracy takes us on a different path. And of course, that path, that journey will depend on the reader. Tracy has merely given us the facts in a concrete, objective fashion, as a good haiku does. There is cherry blossom. There are the chewed up remains of the hamster. What we make of it is up to us. Is it blackly humorous? Or just horrendous? Are our hearts aching for Tracy's daughter? Or are we spitting out our tea with laughter when we read it? Or all of the above? And maybe more? I'll leave that up to you. Thanks, Tracy. I love this one. Well, with that, the nominations of the judges are done. And we'll continue our discussion to decide which of the poems is the final judge's choice and which are the honourable mentions. And you can find out in Journal 3 for this year. My thanks to Roger and Ron for being the judges this time. If you'd like to join in one of the judging panels, do please send me an email. I definitely need some judges for our next two topics, so don't hang about please. Thanks again to all the editing teams here at P Towers. If you'd like to join us even for a month, you'd be most welcome. I hope you've enjoyed this reading of original poetry. I know I did. Do let your friends know about us. We are working hard to spread the joy of haiku around the world. And if you can, please donate via Buy Me A Coffee or PayPal to help me with the costs and the work of Poetry P. So join me next time when, if the internet fairies are kind to us, I'll be joined by Sean O'Connor of the Highbun Journal. Guess what we'll be talking about. Remember, next month you can send any hike or scenery you like. That's October 2022. It will be the last chance you have to get your poem considered for my nominations for all the awards in 2022. But of course, if you're coming to this late... Check out our submission pages and send us some work. We'd love to read it. So until next time, keep writing. And of course, if I've left anything out of the show notes, do email me and let me know. Ciao.
One last note. Ron mentioned that Gwyneth Paltrow's company was sued by the state of California. In fact, a lawsuit apparently was brought by 10 California district attorney offices. And Goop settled the claims, admitting no wrongdoing. You can look it up on the internet. It's quite interesting reading. Ciao.